0: Okay, we have uh, this morning. We we began a study of looking at uh, baptism and how that it is typed from the Old Testament and the symbology that we see through the Old Testament. With that, obviously, as I suggested this morning, there are probably literally hundreds of pictures from the Old Testament that foreshadow things in the New Testament. Uh, a word that that I, I like that helps me to think about this is the word echo you see things echoing through the scripture just like we mentioned this morning the idea of God saying let there be light and then you'll see the idea of light being echoed throughout the old testament and right into the new and there'll be a number of pictures of it Uh, Same thing with marriage, uh, instituted marriage in Genesis 2, and it's so easy for us just to think in terms with, oh, nice, God created a woman, and now man's not alone, and woman uh, is the very, very important helper to man, and you you go through this whole thing, and they became one flesh, and we go, voila! That's uh, that's that. No, that's not that. Uh, That is echoed throughout the Old Testament and brings us into the New. And of course, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, why were you just thinking about marriage? The whole point of that was that we're going to be the bride of Christ. And he has planned that and he pre-engineered all of that so that we would have a better picture of our relationship with him. So, as I said there 's just literally hundreds really of those kinds of pictures and and baptism is no different. It is God in the Old Testament prefiguring what He is going to be doing, uh, and that happening a lot of that is happening just in the in us submitting to the act of baptism. So we saw some of that this morning we 're going to look at one more type of that, and that is this idea then of the circumcision shadow. That pictures baptism. So, we're going to look at it in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. So, let's, let's read that text and we'll begin the lesson just with some simple uh, observations about the text so that we, we get a good picture of the details of the text. And then we'll go back to the Old Testament and take a look at how the Old Testament prefigures circumcision in baptism and what the parallels actually are. So, in Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin our reading of verse 11, but let me set that up just a bit. The Colossian Christians were affected by a collage of different teachings. Uh, It's very, very difficult to kind of summarize what was going on. They're not exactly Judaizing teachers, though there was some Jewish influence. There's a lot of emphasis on philosophy and human wisdom and those kinds of teachings. But it apparently is true that there was a Jewish aspect to it because just this text would indicate to us that these individuals believed in circumcision and the importance of fleshly circumcision and thus Paul Paul uh, uh, dissuades them from that by suggesting that they have a greater circumcision in Christ than any kind of fleshly circumcision. So, We'll notice then beginning at verse 11, when Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. If you read in the New King James Version, it would say the body of the sins of the flesh. Same thing. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So you notice that that last statement as again he pictures for us this shadow type this correspondence from the old testament to the new and indicating to us that we are to be looking at the things of the old testament as shadows of the true substance which is in christ and of course circumcision was 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 a similar thing as that it also was a shadow of something greater and had a true substance in christ i do want you to notice that the contrast in the text is since you were circumcised with a circumcision that is made without hands by the circumcision of Christ, that therefore you are He in doing that, Jesus in dying on the cross canceled that debt that was against us. But please just keep that in mind: that there is a contrast between the circumcision Christ does and when he does that it cancels out a debt that was against us in this law of ordinances and the Old Testament covenant and again the, very, the shadow types of the Old Testament then are done away with. And we're going to see more of that as we come into the text. Now the first thing I want you to notice in this text is that looking at types or typology is not to be seen as allegorical. Okay. So sometimes when we look at types or shadows from the Old Testament, people start seeing it everywhere. (laughs) They start seeing it where it isn't. They try to start inventing it. So we have to be careful with that. And, And this idea of circumcision is just like that. It is not allegorical in the sense that when there's an allegory, like in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21 through 31, you might remember the allegory of Sarah and Hagar and Sarah represented the New Covenant and New Jerusalem and Hagar represented Mount Sinai and the Old Covenant and the the Law and Hagar represented physical Jerusalem and the Jewish nation and every single part of that story had a parallel that's not the way types are we have to limit types to what God says is the parallel you can't take the parallel too far in other words, let's look at it this way. Circumcision certainly is a type of baptism, but not in every way. You, you would not suggest that we would baptize a male child at eight days old. That would be a, a, an illegal parallel, wouldn't it? Because God doesn't make the parallel that way. That's not the way he looks at that. He is taking one part of the idea of circumcision and he's paralleling it. As a matter of fact, in this context, there are more contrasts than there are parallels. There are comparisons. There's more contrasting things with circumcision in the Old Testament than you would say that there are parallels. There are certainly some parallels, but there are also a number of great contrasts. Uh, for example, do you, do you remember in Jeremiah 31 verse 31 through 34? Remember when Jeremiah said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke, though I was a father of them, says the Lord. And then he says in verse 33 and 34, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their heart. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And no more shall everyone teach his brother or teach his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Now right there, that little statement by Jeremiah indicates to us that circumcision, blessedly circumcision, would no longer be true in the new covenant. Because in the old covenant, since circumcision happened at eight days old, the child would then not know the Lord when they entered the covenant. And later in life, someone would have to say to them, do you know the Lord? Well, no, not really necessarily. Well, let's sit down and teach you who the Lord is. Whereas in the new covenant, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 44, no one comes to me unless the father who sent him draws, draws him. And so no one can come to Christ now unless we learn from the father and we are drawn to him. So in that particular case, we would learn that circumcision is in fact not at all parallel. To the covenant, to baptism, and the covenant of Christ, because in this particular case, He's expecting us to know the Lord even before we're baptized. He's expecting us to understand and be taught by God first. So, just to put that in 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 the uh, in the equation there, because I've I've known people, and you, you probably have too, who have said, "Well, circumcision is a sign." of the covenant and therefore baptism is a sign that you've already been saved well that's not parallel and he doesn't parallel it that way in this text either that's not the way he talks about it he talks about the parallel of one is cutting off and the other is cutting off one is cutting off flesh one is cutting off the sins of the flesh so there's a parallel in that regard but we don't take it too far so I just point that out because in teaching these things, I find a lot of times people are going, well, you know, uh, let's just start drawing parallels everywhere and you can't draw it past the way God has, has pictured it. Okay, so in this text, let's notice first that the comparison that he makes is from the lesser to the greater. In other words, why would you be circumcised? Why would you worry about whether you are circumcised fleshly When you have been given the circumcision of Christ, you have been given a circumcision that's made without hands, that is not done by human ability. You have a circumcision of Christ that takes off the body of the sins of the flesh. You have something that is far deeper. And this is what we noticed this morning, that there was a lesser to greater when it came to the cleansing hebrew letter says well there was an outward cleansing purification of the flesh but with christ there is a greater cleansing in that the conscience has now been sprinkled clean and we now are able to come to him with the inside so to speak having been cleansed and not just the outside so he points out this same thing here that there is this lesser to greater in the fact that this is made without hands. And that would suggest to you this is done by the grace of God. It is something that only God can do. No one else can do that. Do you remember in John chapter 1, and, and I think this is, is really important to remember in regard to this, that when John introduces his letter and later talks about this, of course, in the Nicodemus uh, narrative, In John chapter 1, in verse 12, he he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now that's exactly the Nicodemus thinking, where the Nicodemus thinking went wrong. He's thinking he's going to become a child of God. He's thinking he's going to come into the kingdom based on the will of man, the will of the flesh. He's thinking something how he can do this, and that's the way the Jews looked at it. They saw it that way. Now, should they have? Absolutely not. They should, and I'm going to show you some passages where they just completely missed the idea that they couldn't be saved by law. They couldn't be saved by a system in which here's a few key passages, well, be circumcised and go to the temple and, and don't eat unclean foods and, and do some festivals, that somehow that was going to equate them becoming child, children of God. And, and that just wasn't the way it could be. So this is something made without hands. Furthermore, in the text, this fleshly circumcision is obviously inadequate. It was not something God would, was going to accept. There was going to have to be God cutting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Not something we can do. So there had to be a greater circumcision than the one in which, the, in which they were accustomed to. Then verse 13 also points out in the text that the circumcision of Christ made them alive. It forgave their sins. It canceled the debt that was against them. So here is a work of Christ. And of course, that could only happen through the cross. That could only happen by the death of Christ. But you'll notice in the text too, that there's a combination of the work Christ does and us submitting to what Christ has asked us to do to connect to that. Uh, a lot of times when I'm teaching someone, maybe this will help you in, in when you're having discussions with folks. It's difficult, of course, for many in the religious world to understand, well, how could baptism have anything to do with salvation? Because, I mean, after all, baptism is a work, and we're not saved by works. And you know that that kind of argument that is given. Well, I think this is one of the best texts to talk about that, And, and I've just used this analogy. Who's the surgeon in the text? Well, Jesus is the surgeon. And what's he cutting off? What kind of surgery is he doing? Well, he's cutting off the body of the flesh. He's cutting off that part that is keeping us from being made alive and being in a right relationship with him. He's doing something in the surgery no other surgeon can do. It's a surgery made without hands. He's cutting off the body of the sins in the flesh. And then somebody I'm talking to, I just, I just simply say uh, all in favor of that surgery. Uh, how, how would you like to have that surgery? How would you like to, for Christ to cut off the sins of the flesh on, in you? Well, yeah, well, yeah, that, that would be fantastic. Okay, well, read the rest of the sentence. This is one sentence. Don't you just love, and I know Brent's mentioned this many times, don't you just love verse divisions? <laughs> so somebody, you know, reads verse 11, and they stop, and yet, if we had at least put a verse division at the end of a sentence instead of right in the middle of the sentence we would have read that the circumcision of Christ happens when you are buried with him in baptism so there's a certain thing that I have to do but the primary work is what Jesus is doing he's the surgeon he's the one that's cutting off the sins of the flesh and I have to submit to so uh, let's just pretend for a moment I go get my yearly checkup, and the doctor calls me the next day, and he says, well, we've got good news and bad news. The bad news is you have a little cancerous spot. The good news is we've caught it early, and if you get down here tomorrow morning, we can, we can uh, uh, take you, and, and, and we can cut that all out, and and, uh, and you're going to be fine. But if you wait more than just a few weeks, you may not be fine, and I I want to see you here tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Man, that's I'll cool. feel I'm, I'm wiping my brow saying, well, this, that's, that's great, we, we, we caught that early, and the next morning, I'm, uh, I'm down at my office uh, just praying and praising God that I have such a wonderful doctor that uh, healed me of cancer. And about 8.30, he calls me in and says, where are you? <laughs> well, I'm just down here praising God that you're such a great surgeon. I'm not a great surgeon unless you get down here. Get on the surgery table, let me put you to death, that's anesthesia, and cut that thing out and then bring you back to life. That's the way this is going to happen. Get on the table. Don't go around telling everybody I'm a great surgeon when I haven't got to operate one. Well, that's exactly what we have going on today. Where folks have turned around and they say, oh, you know, Jesus is the great surgeon. Well, get on the table. How do I get on the table? By being buried with Him in baptism. And at that point, He's the one who does the work. And we don't go running around, uh, you know, praising ourselves for doing our own surgery on ourselves. And we don't go running around praising ourselves just because we submitted to the waters of baptism and allowed uh, Jesus then to do the surgery of cutting off the sins of the flesh. And so it is a work then circumcision of Christ. And it is a work then that is done by Christ. So when you look at physical circumcision, you see a number of things that it does not do that the circumcision of Christ does. This one is made by human hands instead of without hands. This one does not cut off the sins of the flesh. It's not connected to the resurrection of Christ or the powerful working of God. By the way, you know, the old King James there said faith in the operation of God, which kind of makes that sound even even more parallel. And circumcision was the shadow. It was not actually the substance. So there's a number of things that are uh that are in contrast from physical circumcision to the circumcision of Christ and are not then exact parallels. Now the emphasis in the text then is on the work of Christ. I want you to notice one other thing about this and then we'll get into how the Old Testament parallel goes. He does the work when we are buried with Him in baptism. We saw that in verse 12. Notice also though, we are raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. In order to be baptized correctly, I have to have the right faith, the right understanding. And in this case, my faith is in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. My understanding of the resurrection of Jesus is is an understanding that that same power that raised him now can raise me from being spiritually dead. So there is faith that is operating. And then, of course, when you see put it all together in one sentence, you have the idea of grace, the idea of faith, and the idea of baptism all placed in one sentence. Grace done by the circumcision of Christ without hands. Faith, our belief in God's power to cut off our sins and then the submission submitting to that by being baptized into Christ. That's very helpful usually to people who are trying to figure out how all of that comes together. And to notice that so many times in the old in the old and new testaments, we see this idea of grace and faith and then uh, submitting to that and doing the work God has had us to do all placed together in one sentence. Alright, so let's notice how the Old Testament context fits this. And we go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 17. The Lord is the context in which circumcision was first commanded then to Abraham. Genesis chapter 17, and and we'll we'll begin our reading in verse 9. But I'll just point out that in the first eight verses, this is where the Lord for about the third or fourth time now, re-emphasizes his promise to Abraham that through his offspring, all nations are going to be blessed. He's going to multiply the offspring and they are going to be this great nation in the world. And God then changes his name as a blessing to show that picture. But then in verse 9, the scripture says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male you shall, among you, you shall, shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring both he and who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay. First thing I want you to notice there is this word sign. Sign of the covenant. So let's help us understand that a little bit better. God already at this point had given some signs. For example... The sign of the rainbow. We see the bow in the sky, and actually, in the Hebrew, the word is rainbow. It's actually bow, like God's war bow. He's hung up in the cloud, and so when we see that rainbow in the cl- in the cloud, what should we be thinking? God has made a promise, and he's to we are to remember the promise he made. It's His promise. Well, I'm never again going to destroy the earth by a flood. And we see that, and we emphasize that, and that is an everlasting sign that God is good. Remember the Sabbath over in Exodus 31? The Sabbath was pictured as a sign. A sign of what? It was a sign that they were to remember, and Deuteronomy 5 points this out, they were to remember that they were in bondage in the land of Egypt. And now that they've come out, they have this Sabbath rest sign. It's a reminder to them that they now have a master far better than the Egyptian master. We should remember that Sabbath sign. Because we no longer serve the uh, brutality of Satan as our master. Pictured in the Egyptian dragon and and the Egyptian bondage. We now have a master that gives us rest. As Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. So signs that God gives is a reminder of a great promise. In this particular case, circumcision, fleshly circumcision, was a reminder that God was going to multiply Abraham's offspring, make them a great nation, give them rest, And that through their offspring, all nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Salvation to the world was going to come through the offspring of Abraham. And the circumcision sign was this covenant made in order to prove to them and remind them that that was what was going to take place. However, Israel should have understood that circumcision had a greater meaning than simply fleshly cutting off. And we notice this in a number of places where the Old Testament shadow is shown. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15 and 16. Listen to the words. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Now, it is kind of interesting that in the book of Deuteronomy, when Deuteronomy is delivered, who's dead already? Well, the previous generation is. That generation that came out of Egypt, and how stubborn were they? Well, pretty stubborn. 603,550 men of war came out of Egypt, and 603,548 of them died and didn't see the promised land. So that's pretty stuff. What we sometimes do not realize is the next generation wasn't a lot different. Even though they seemed to be the better generation, and indeed they were better in many ways, they at least went into Canaan. But God in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 20 of Ezekiel, He clearly points out that they were still holding on to their idols when they entered the land of Canaan. I mean, I, I, I didn't even believe that when I read that in Ezekiel 20. I was like, you, you've got to be kidding me. After all of this, you still held on to your idols. And so here is Moses warning this generation prior to entering Canaan, you need to circumcise your heart. We're not just talking about it. In other words, you could enter Canaan circumcising your flesh, but God is looking for something great. He's looking for the circumcision of the heart. He says it again later in the book of Jeremiah. Of course, this is right before the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy uh, the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord says uh, to to the men of Judah and the men of Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord... Remove the foreskin of your heart, so men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Now in those two texts, and there's a number of others, but in the Deuteronomy text and the Jeremiah text, in both of them you see an action that needs to be taken by us. There is a choice that has to be made. You need to to get rid of the callousness on your heart. You need to, to, to humble yourself before God and listen to what He has to say. There is a choice that you have to make. There's no question there is an action taken on our part. But what's interesting is, the action taken on our part is going to be insufficient. God is going to do more than what you and I could do by, their, by ourselves and that's what these next texts point out to us for example the Apostle Paul in the New Testament Romans chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 he says for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart now watch that last words last words By the Spirit, not by the letter. Now what Paul then indicates, and he talks about a little bit later in chapter 8, what he indicates very clearly here is, the circumcision that takes place in the heart is going to have to be done by God. We've just seen that in Colossians 2. The Spirit is the one who's going to do that. In contrast to... Not by the letter. Now, letter here just stands for the law of Moses, and it stands for the idea that I can do this completely and totally by myself. No, I cannot. I have a choice to make. But I cannot do that by myself. That happens, has to happen through the work of the Spirit. Now, Paul in the book of Romans, when he says that, I mean, that little phrase there, by the Spirit, wow, is that jam-packed? (laughs) when Paul says something is done by the Spirit like in this context he is talking about everything that Jesus did and everything the Gospel message does and everything that has taken place through Christ in the New Testament all spiritual blessings everything that happens has been generated by the work of the Spirit you see that in Romans 5 later in verse 5 when he says Hope does not put us to shame for the love of God was poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us for while we were still enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. How did the Spirit pour the love of God out into our hearts? Through the cross. And so He summarizes the Spirit when He just says, well, the Spirit did it. We don't want to think in terms of Some kind of mysterious thing where the Spirit kind of, you know, moved into our body and, and, you know, did some kind of miraculous event. He's talking about what the Spirit did in bringing life through Jesus Christ. That's what Ezekiel was talking about that we mentioned this morning. So in this case, he's talking about all the work of Christ is the way the circumcision is taking place, and a person then is not a true Jew who is simply circumcised in the flesh. He has to be circumcised in the heart. Well, is that anything new? No, we just read that back in Deuteronomy. We just read that back in Jeremiah. These people were all circumcised in the flesh, but they were not circumcised in the heart and therefore had been condemned. Let's go back again. Deuteronomy thirty and verse 6. Here when he talks about how he'll bring them out of captivity and what he would do of course, eventually in the work of the Messiah. He says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now, how's God going to do that? He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people that in the context of Deuteronomy 30, had been cursed. And it's very interesting because the whole context in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy to chapter 30 is about how Israel's cursed. You might remember that when they, when they entered the land of Canaan, they were, the priests were to go up on Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim and they were to shout across the valley. And they would shout the blessings and they would shout the curses. And the people were to say, Amen, at the end of the curses. And the last statement that he made in Deuteronomy twenty-seven, verse twenty-six, was, "Cursed be anyone who does not do all things written in the book of the law." Amen. Oops, <laughs> you're cursed. <laughs> Boom. And then he goes on in chapter twenty-eight and says, "I mean, like sixty verses of all the curses God's going to bring on them, and how they're going to go into captivity, and all that." And he gets to chapter thirty and he says, "But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to circumcise your heart." And when I do, it's going to cause you to love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he follows up and he says, and then you're going to draw near to me and you're going to keep my commandments. And we're all scratching our head going, wait a minute. I thought we couldn't do that. I thought we were cursed. He says, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something to cause you to love me. Now, I don't think any of us here are confused about that. What would God do to cause us to love Him. How would He cut off the hardness of our hearts and humble ourselves and, and humble us and cause us to love Him? Well, it's all going to be done through what Jesus does. His work on the cross, His salvation to us when we didn't deserve it is going to cut off that part of us, if we're willing, and it's going to cleanse us and change our heart. We read that this morning in Ezekiel 36. The idea of the work of God in sprinkling clean water on us, putting His Spirit in us, and causing us to be careful to obey Him. So God has to do this. God has to do this work of circumcision in our heart. Now, let's just see this in connection. You see what God is doing in connection with what we are also submitting to uh, in the text. Here we are circumcised, the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him. We're connecting to His work in baptism, which you're also raised with Him through faith in what? The powerful working of God. God doing the work circumcising our heart, us being buried with him, we are connecting with that and then we are being raised. So when we see this baptism circumcision parallel, we see then that in the Old Testament, circumcision prefigured the only kind of circumcision Christ was God was going to accept. A circumcision in which was cutting off the inner excess the inner callousness and causing us then to learn to love Him and only Christ could do that. No one else. Look at these words in Romans 9. Romans 9 and verse, verse 6 through 9 and you'll see the beauty of the parallel. Romans 9 and verse 6. The question is, has God really cast off His people? As the first five verses point out. And he says but. Verse 6. Even though Israel received physical circumcision and all of those rules. In verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who have descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham. Because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. Why wasn't God going to allow Ishmael to be the promised seed. Remember Abraham's reply to, to God when God said, you're going to have a son. And he said, oh, I'll let Ishmael live before you. What do we have to do that for? We, I mean, we've had a son. We've taken care of this God. Why was it so important that God say, no, that's not the way that's going to work. And Isaac shall your offspring be called. Because Isaac would come in a miraculous God-generated birth. Neither Sarah Or Abraham had the ability to have children at that point in their life. And it had to come from God's working. In Isaac shall your seed be called. This is the promise. It can't come from the flesh. So when we talk about not being able to be saved by works, there's an important reason for that. Because that goes back and is generated from the idea of what takes place all the way back in the Old Testament that in Isaac your seed should be called and this has to come from a God-generated birth. That's how that has to happen. And so that is the importance of this. And so when he talks about circumcision and that the children of the flesh are not the children of God, the reason for that is, is God must do the work. God has to do that. So when we think of baptism, we need to think very carefully about how God is acting in that. God is doing a work in that. We sometimes substitute circumcision for baptism in the same way Jews saw circumcision. Well, let me just go get that done and then, okay, we're in the covenant. And so, uh, you know, some child says, well, let me just get baptized. And so now I'm in the covenant and not realizing that there is a work that's being done here by God and that there is a change being made and that there is a rebirth that is to come out of that and there is a heart choice that is taken in that there's all kinds of things that are involved in that that would indicate the covenant relationship that we are then having in Christ so Part six, circumcision only done by God. Psalm 51 verse 10, uh, David prayed, in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It could not happen and David knew that. It was only God who could create that within him. And so when we see Christ's circumcision, it marks us as a true member of God's true people. Physical circumcision marked the fleshly nation as a member of the fleshly picture of God's people in the Old Testament. But true circumcision marks off the true nation. Galatians 6 and verse 16. Paul makes that statement at the very end of his letter there that is that is so important. In verse 16, he says, And as for all who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Here's the true Israel. Let's look at this final verse here in chapter 3 of Galatians. Look at the importance of being Abraham's offspring. The Galatian Christians we're we're being art we're we're being taught by judaizers that you can be a child of god in the family of god by physical circumcision and here's how paul points this out in verse 26 he says for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith for as many of you are baptized into christ to put on christ there's neither jew nor greek there's neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, if you are of the physical nation and only physically circumcised, you are not heirs. You are not offspring of Abraham. You're the offspring of Abraham when you are Christ. Because Christ has performed a circumcision on you, on your heart, that has brought you to be in his true family, the true Israel of God. And if that, then your heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? Through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. We receive the blessing of Abraham. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but most of my life I, I have spent not thinking too much about the importance of being the offspring of Abraham. In the New Testament, the offspring of every well, in the whole Bible, the offspring of Abraham is everything. If you're not the offspring of Abraham, you are not in the covenant. That's where the covenant begins and ends. And how do you become that? It is not by physical circumcision and by that particular sign. It is the sign that is given in what takes place when we become a true member of the covenant of God. Now, here's your conclusion. But he says well can you be saved prior to being circumcised by Christ in baptism well of course not Christ has to do that work on you. and to think that it can be done any other way is to destroy a correspondence an echo a type a pre-engineered pre-figured plan that God had all the way back into Genesis chapter 17 And something that he echoed into Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and all the way through the Old Testament and right into the New and to take that away and say salvation could be happening without being baptized is to say salvation could happen without the work of Christ. And without what God prefigured from the Old Testament. So, three lessons to show us three different types of how God used Old Testament figures to pre Figure our own salvation that is in Christ. If that's not part of your life, if that's not something you've done, you have that opportunity to change that. To respond to the Lord so that He will do as He he promised to cut off the body of the sins of the flesh. I don't know how anyone could refuse the surgery that Christ would do in saving us from our sins. If you're in any way subject to God's invitation, we urge you to come while together we stand what I was saying.